welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, a show about nutrition, dietitians, and their success stories. This podcast, hosted by Kate Agnew and Marie Ferguson, will empower you to realize your professional dreams by giving you access to our global community of dietitians. Through our conversations with nutrition leaders, we'll educate you, inspire you, and help you create more impact as a dietitian. This podcast is not and is not intended to be medical advice, which should always be tailored to individual circumstances. This podcast is for your information only, and we advise you to exercise your own judgment before deciding to use the information provided. Professional medical advice should always be obtained before taking action. Welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast. I'm your host, Kate Agnew. Meeting the recommended daily intake of vitamin D is important every winter, um, which is when deficiency rates in Australia rise from 23 to as high as 40%. And this may be even more important this year, given the emerging body of evidence linking vitamin D to immunity and to the possible severity of COVID-19. In this podcast with Dr. Joanna McMillan, we're going to explore the role of vitamin D and immunity, the latest research exploring the relationship between vitamin D and COVID, and the role of the humble egg in helping Australians meet vitamin D requirements. And I want to say a very special thank you to Australian Eggs for supporting this podcast. I'm very pleased to be sitting down with Dr. Joanna McMillan again. Dr. Jo is a PhD qualified nutrition scientist, accredited practicing dietitian, and one of Australia's favorite and most trusted health and well-being experts. She hosted the Gut Revolution on ABC's Catalyst and appears regularly on TV, radio, online, and print publications. And she's the founder of Get Lean, an online lifestyle change program, and is an accomplished author of eight books. The latest one is the Feel Good Family Food Plan and also the new audio book called Gutful. So welcome to the show, Joe. Kate, lovely to see you. Lovely to be sitting down with you again to record this podcast. It's obviously um, a very timely and relevant topic and a fair bit of conversation happening around nutrition and immunity, isn't there? Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's exciting for dietitians and, and other nutrition experts to be able to to uh, deliver something into this space. Um, and I think, you know, for me over the last year, it's been fantastic to see the role of nutrition in the immune system kind of come to the forefront of not just dietitians' minds, but also of other medical professionals and of the public. So yes, yeah, it's, it's fantastic to be able to talk about these things and realize, you know, that there's more to nutrition uh, than just weight control. <laughs> you know? Totally. Yeah. Um, wonderful to be picking your brain a bit on this obviously really emerging area and also to, for dietitians to keep in touch with the research. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah. And look, Kate, that was a good word to, to use. I think that's important to just say up front that a lot of this is emerging. We understand a lot about nutrition's role within the immune system. But if we're talking very specifically about COVID-19 and about this particular coronavirus, I think that is important to to understand we've got to stay on top of the research because it really is a margin. Yeah, definitely. Um, so great start to this conversation around um, micronutrients and Im immunity. Could you remind us what are the key micronutrients that are important when it comes to talking about immunity in general? Well, the first thing is to say is that malnutrition is really important. So we tend to have this sort of focus on one particular nutrient at a time, but vitamin D might 
be the exception just because it's such a it's so involved in your exposure to sunlight and what type of skin you have and so on but when we look overall normally it's actually quite rare for people to have just one nutrient deficiency often it's several and that's as a result of overall malnutrition so you know we've known for for very for decades that people who are malnourished who are not getting enough to eat we just have to look in a famine situation where people are much more susceptible to disease and to infections where they are malnourished so it's worth remembering Remembering that, that it can be a whole spectrum of different nutrients um, that are deficient, either chronically or, or just even mildly that can then be impacting immune, immune function. But we do know that there's some standout players. So amongst the minerals, zinc stands out. And most people know that because when they get a lozenge, when they've got a sore throat or cold, it's often a lozenge that contains zinc and vitamin C. Um, so people are kind of aware of that, those two nutrients coming out. But yes, zinc is absolutely um, involved in immune function, but so is iron. And iron is one that we forget about. And that is one of the commonest nutrient deficiencies across the world. Um, and the causes of iron deficiency are often very different when you look at a developed country like Australia compared to the developing world, where again, iron deficiency tends to be associated with a whole load of other different nutrient deficiencies. So let's not ignore the role of iron. And, and that's at the forefront of my mind because I'm being asked so much about vegan diets and plant-based and everyone's being very anti-meat and uh, pro-plants. And you know some of that is good, but I do worry that what it is ignoring are things like vitamin B12 and, and iron. And then of course, I mentioned vitamin C there too, but we've also then got, we're, we're going to come on and talk about vitamin D. Those are probably the nutrients that stand out most, but we do have other nutrients involved. And then lastly, the good old gut microbiome. The gut microbiome is intimately involved with, um, with the immune responses. And we know that it is involved in this process. So again, nutrients come into play here not just in terms of vitamins and minerals, but also your overall diet. So how much fermentable fiber is there? You know, how many polyphenols are present in the diet? So it, it really starts as dietitians. what's tricky for us is that it's never about pinpointing one particular nutrient that's the problem. It almost always comes back to that big picture of what is someone's overall diet and trying to look at all of these different factors as part of the big picture. Um, and I'm looking forward to diving a little bit deeper into vitamin D, obviously within that um, that range of focus around micronutrients and immunity. So um, vitamin D is a very interesting vitamin. Um, maybe for those who need a, a quick refresher, what is vitamin D? Why is it important in the body? Yeah, well, look, vitamin D is really more accurately described as a hormone um, rather than as a vitamin. And it's unusual because most of it we produce in our skin on exposure to sunlight. Um, and so just a reminder that that's what happens. Sun hits the, the particular, um, there's a particular bandwidth of rays when they hit the sun that creates uh, the precursor of the vitamin D that is then activated by the kidneys into the active form. So we know that that's a very efficient way also of making vitamin D and that form of vitamin D tends to, tends to stay in the bloodstream a lot longer. Uh, the active form has quite a short, short, short uh, try that again, Joanna, a short shelf life. <laughs> that's a tongue twister. Um, uh, so, so, you know, we know, we know that we need to get that sort of continuous exposure, not every single day, it's a fat soluble uh, hormone, but we need to be producing it fairly regularly. So the problem comes in, in countries like Australia, where previously we never thought vitamin D was an issue. 
we all started being very sensitive to the sun, covering up our skin, either for um, to protect us against the risk of skin cancer, which of course is a, just as valid a concern, but also for anti-aging and so on. And so there's this sort of balance of discussion between the vitamin D people saying, hang on, we've gone too far. We've got everybody covering up. We've got children whose you know, skin never sees the sun uh, right up to the spectrum of, well, yes, of course, we've got a huge problem with skin cancer and we've got the skin cancer specialists telling us to cover up and wear sunscreen and so on. So there's a balance in the middle there where we have to talk about, well, how do we ensure that we're getting enough vitamin D while still protecting ourselves from the sun? And that's where food sources come in. And so eggs are one of our best food sources of vitamin D. And in fact, they are the only food that has been associated with better blood levels of vitamin D. So it's it's just a case where we can see, we also have oily fish. You can put your mushrooms out in the sun and even, even mushrooms that have been exposed to the supermarket lights seem to have some level of vitamin D. But it's really hard to meet your requirements unless you know, you're, you're actually getting some sun exposure or you're having good quantities of foods like eggs. Yeah, I remember um, you spoke a little bit about vitamin D last year, Joe. To, and to use your words, the the conversation around around vitamin D from food was sort of buried under the carpet for a while. But now we are able to talk about it a bit more with a newer testing method. If I under, if I'm understanding yeah, well, correctly, I think also uh, vitamin D used to be underestimated in foods like eggs. That wasn't it wasn't um, it wasn't taking in all of the the forms of vitamin D that are present that can then can be converted to active forms. So, yeah, so the most recent uh, analysis of Australian eggs has shown that levels were much higher than were previously thought. So, in fact, I mean, it's pretty astounding now to think a serve of two eggs is giving most adults more than 80. I think it's 82 percent um, of your of your what's considered an adequate intake for the day. Um, and that's pretty extraordinary. Um, older adults have a slightly higher requirement. So it's but it's still providing about half of theirs. Um, so it's really, really uh, a significant food that can really, really help. Australians to meet their vitamin D requirements, either as a top up or, you know, potentially being the major source and um, just getting them there to their adequate intake levels. And obviously, um, we were just talking before um, as a side conversation about how um, I, I suppose vitamin D is involved in many different systems in the body how, and how fascinating it is. Uh, what's yes. sort of top line? What would you say is vitamin D's role in health outcomes if you were to summarize it? Yeah, well, you know, when I first studied as a dietitian all those months ago, um, you know, we really only talked about its influence on bone health. So that's the primary role for vitamin D. It's invo involved not just in the absorption of calcium from the gut, but also in that laying down of calcium and other minerals into bone um, and in the resorption, if needed, of those minerals like calcium out of the, uh, the bone to be used um, if you're not taking enough from a dietary sense. So, of course, the, the, the overt vitamin D deficiency in children is rickets, where you see those old black and white pictures of kids. I think I posted previously, um, and certainly in the, the, the uh, webinar that we did, uh, the dietitians who watched that will remember, I showed some of those photos from the UK. Um, I come from just south of Glasgow, and certainly they had these in Glasgow, these sort of cages that they put out the windows. So they recognized that sunlight was important for the baby's health. They recognized the link to rickets, and these babies and young children would literally be stuck out in cages with just their nappy on to try and capture some of the very small amount of, of sunshine that there was in Scotland at the time. So we've understood that association with bones, but perhaps what gets forgotten about 
is that it's not just about preventing rickets. That's the overt uh, stage of, of the deficiency disease. But even in adults, if you have insufficient vitamin D, you're likely to be losing bone density as the years go on. So it certainly is putting you at risk of having weakened bones, lowered bone density, um, and then osteomalacia, osteopenia later in life. So that's one of the symptoms that you can get is actually, you know, uh, bones that are easy to fracture. You, pe some people may experience some bone pain, but often that, uh, that, that sort of loss in bone density goes unnoticed until it's sort of too late and it's later in life. And then the newer research, which, you know, we were sort of used to completely gloss over is now the understanding that vitamin D is involved in the health of your skin, um, which seems quite interesting given that, you know, it's produced in the skin and on exposure to sunlight. So perhaps it's not that uh, ridiculous a link to, to understand. We know that pretty much every immune cell around the body has vitamin D receptors. So that's what's opened up this, this understanding of, oh, hang on, how is vitamin D exactly involved um, in immune health? Uh, we know that it's involved in the health of the brain. And so there's interest in vitamin D and cognition effects at both today and, and for long-term brain health. So we've suddenly, and then of course, I, I, I'm forgetting to mention muscles. So muscle contraction and, and appropriate uh, body composition even. So we've got some studies underway looking at whether vitamin D is involved in long-term weight control, um, whether it impacts your ability to lose weight. So it's pretty incredible that actually what's happening with vitamin D is that this you know, it's like Pandora's box of research has been opened to really understand what the role of this hormone vitamin, if I can call it that, does throughout the body. Yeah. We're gonna, we'll come back to a bit more about vitamin D and immunity. I know there's some really interesting research we have to discuss. Um, just quickly, Joe, you touched on before the, the deficiency um, varies in different parts of Australia. It increases in winter. And we, and we see this in every single country that vitamin D deficiency tends to go up in winter. And that's the concern here in Australia is that um, you know, if you measure people at the end of summer, their levels are much, much better. But by the time we get to, you know, the end of winter, before they're going into summer, then we've got really significant numbers of people already being deficient. So we do have to pay more attention um, to winter. But we also have to pay attention to if you have darker skin, um, you need more sunshine to be able to produce enough vitamin D. If your religious beliefs uh, mean that you are covered up uh, a lot of the time when you're out in public, or, or if you're covering up for sun can, uh, skin cancer protection reasons, or if you are just in the office all day. So I think over the last year, we've also had this increasing problem of people working from home. Therefore, you're working from home, you're, you're not getting out and about. If you don't go and have a walk at some point in the day in the sunshine, it can be very easy to hardly ever be outdoors and therefore not be getting enough. So I think although we've got these sort of average figures um, for across Australia, it's really important to understand if you're in one of these higher risk groups, um, then you may well actually be uh, the, the levels in those particular risk groups may be much higher. And do you think perhaps that's when dietitians do need to have the conversation with patients and clients around vitamin D from certain foods and, and meeting intake or meeting requirements? For sure. And I think because, you know, I'm often asked about, well, what are the symptoms of vitamin D deficiency? And apart from those sort of very overt impacts on things like bone health that can take a while to, to come up with, they're very, very general and people may not even necessarily notice them. There may be some fatigue and general feeling of malaise. They may be frequently picking up coughs and colds or taking a long time to recover from any particular infection, which is a sign, of course, that the immune system is not working as it as it should. 
And But those things can be attributed to lots of different factors, um, including other nutrients, but other aspects of lifestyle. You may just think you're feeling a bit tired because you've been busy or you've not been sleeping well, or, you know, there's a myriad of different reasons why you might be feeling a bit under the weather. So it can be very, very hard to pinpoint it. And so I think vitamin D deficiency is one of those nutrients that has slipped under the rug, under the radar that we've not really paid enough attention to because we've been focused on other sort of the trendy nutrients, if you like, of the time. Um, certainly, though, I mean, even since it's been a few years now since I closed my private clinic, but even while I was still running my private clinic, I noticed a dramatic increase in the number of people coming to see me whose doctor had then added a vitamin D test uh, to a regular blood screen. And so that was reassuring to see. So I think doctors are on top of this starting to understand, oh, hang on, this is something that I have to screen for and something that we have to look at. So yes, dietitians, I feel, should be raising the topic um, and, and certainly looking, I don't think that we need to be blanket, um, you know, uh, promoting the use of supplements, but this is where we can start talking about, because the, the foods that we have that contain vitamin D have other key nutrients um, that are also involved often in immune function as well, but in overall health. So if we start talking oily fish and getting people having mushrooms and, of course, in, including eggs as a regular part, um, if they're happy to include that particular food, is just a great way of boosting overall nutrition as well as boosting vitamin D. And obviously a great example of whole food sources of vitamin D as well. Absolutely. Yes. And, and there's many advantages to that, uh, not least of which is cost. Uh, you know, for most people, if they've got to go out and buy supplements of everything, that gets expensive. Mm. Um, and with vitamin D, you know, it would be very unlikely for anyone to, to get too much of it. Um, but if they're a little overzealous with their um, supplementation, then of course, there is that risk, whereas you don't have that risk at all with taking a food. And there are all of those other particular benefits. So just remind us, Joe, how much vitamin D does the average Australian adult need? Yeah, they need, well, the, 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 um, the recommendations vary based on age. So if we start, first of all, with kids who need about five micrograms a day, um, and then it rises, I'm just making sure I get it correct for the, the ages. So it's five micrograms a day for most adults, but after the age of 50 is when it rises to 10. And then after the age of 70, it rises to 15 micrograms per day. So we need more as we get older. And it's worth pointing out as well that, you know, the skin efficiency of producing vitamin D might also be affected. So we so that's why it might be more important for older Australians to be getting some vitamin D um, more from their food sources or from having to add a supplement when they really can't um, get enough. So, and if we consider that a serve of two eggs is giving you about 8.2 micrograms, you can see that for most adults, that's great. It's, it's, get, it's getting you almost there um, for your requirement, um, certainly getting you there for younger adults and, and for kids with one simple serving of a food. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, we've spoken a little bit about um, vitamin D and bone, a little bit about immunity. Just in terms of what you've seen in the research, are there any other impacts um, from vitamin D deficiencies? Yeah, well, the, the other thing that I didn't mention was the association with um, autoimmune diseases. So from the very early, actually, I remember one of my uh, clinical studies that I had to do when I was training as a dietitian um, was actually in multiple sclerosis. And in Scotland, there are relatively high rates of multiple sclerosis. And this is where one of the first associations was made with vitamin D because MS does seem to occur in more of the further you move away from the equator, the higher the rates of, of multiple sclerosis. 
So that sort of sparked an interest in me about, well, okay, you know, what is going on here and what can Scotland be doing more to, to try to counter uh, what is a relatively um, co uh, common and serious, very serious autoimmune disease. But it's also associated with other autoimmune diseases too. So that starts to question, one, it shows this sort of immune modulating effect that vitamin D has. And it'll bring us on to when we start talking more about COVID, actually, you know, this research on autoimmune links with vitamin D is what has sparked some of the interest and in how it might be modulating response to a disease like COVID-19. So we know that it seems to modulate. And, and um, if you don't have enough vitamin D, it seems to make these autoimmune conditions worse. So we're not suggesting that they cause them, but it seems to be that, you know, the immune system then is not reacting in the way that it should. And, and you're getting these over responses. It's why I really don't like this term. I keep seeing people and I keep pulling up journalists talking about, Joe, can you give us tips for boosting your immune system? You don't want to boost your immune system. It's that over response of the immune system that is often what's causing the disease. Um, with COVID-19, they call it a cytokine storm because there's this sort of, you know, over exaggerated response. And it's almost the response of the immune system causing the cellular damage, causing these inflammatory markers to go skyrocketing through the roof. And it's that that the body is then dealing with along with the virus. So it's the impact of, of the immune system that is really determining how you manage to, to deal with the disease. And we see that that's what happens in autoimmune diseases. If you don't have enough vitamin D, you don't have that modulation of immune responses and you get this, um, uh, this abnormal response where the immune system is acting on itself. So, so that's that, kind of quite interesting to really start understanding, you know, what exactly is, is this hormone doing in our bodies? And that's interesting, Joe. I do remember the discussion um, sort of around the middle of last year talking about the importance of language with healthcare professionals and mm. talking about supporting your immune system as opposed to boosting your immune system. Yeah, that's right. And and that's a good term. I think supporting, that's what the that's what nutrition is ultimately doing with all of our body systems, is supporting them to ensure they work. Optimally, they should work as they are designed to do. And um, so it's important that we talk about that with the immune system, that we don't want to boost it. You don't want to have an over-exaggerated res immune response. You want to have an appropriate immune response that helps to fight the disease, but the response itself doesn't cause further damage. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a great segue into, I think, a topic that um, dietitians will be very interested in. And I know, obviously, it's there's been a lot of discussion about it in the press around vitamin D and immunity, and, and then we'll go into a bit more around COVID-19. So um, just quickly, Joe, what is the mechanism for uh, vitamin D affecting immunity? Mm. Well, what we know is, um, and I'm not going to try and pretend I'm some expert on the immune system here. I have to pull out my old uh, textbooks too to, to remind myself about what all these immune cells do. But what we know is that there are vitamin D receptors on lots of different um, types of immune cells throughout the body. And so it seems to be involved both in the immune response, but also in dampening those inflammatory markers. So, for example, we've we've got some studies now that have measured uh, inflammatory markers like C-reactive protein in the blood and other inflammatory markers in people who have got COVID-19. And they've shown that people who are have got sufficient vitamin D then have lower levels of these inflammatory markers and they don't get that cytokine storm that is associated with very severe disease. 
So that's one aspect of what the immune system, uh, vitamin D, sorry, seems to be doing to the immune system is that it's it's um, acting upon those immune cells that, that then are triggering these cytokines and they're helping to dampen that response. So that's what we know about vitamin D's involvement with, with, with uh, the production of different uh, immune cells, for example, as well as what those immune cells are then triggering on to do. So if you think of it as being a kind of blanket over the cytokine storm is the way that I view it in my head, um, that it's ensuring an appropriate immune response instead of that exaggerated fire. And is there much research around um, vitamin D immunity with general respiratory infections? Yeah, well, that's where it's come from before. And it's worth pointing out that, honestly, I could cherry pick data here and cherry pick studies to either be pro or against vitamin D being involved in, res in respiratory responses. And so that's where I think we need much, much clearer evidence. So part of the problem is when you have, you have to look at what the confounders are. When you've So yes, there have been plenty of studies that have associated both the increased risk of, of catching any kind of respiratory disease, but also in the severity of that disease and how many days it takes you to get over it. So certainly there is good plausible biological mechanisms by which vitamin D is involved. Um, we certainly know it is involved in, in your overall immune sense. We know that people with low vitamin D are more likely to catch these kinds of infections. But think about what the confounders might be. Um, if you look at a country like Scotland as a great example, you know, where there's low vitamin D at the end of winter, that winter is much more harsh than here in Australia. You've got people spending more time indoors, uh, where, of course, you're more likely to pick up respiratory diseases from other people. Um, people may not be eating as well overall, so they might be low in other nutrients. Um, you've got all of these other factors that are involved. So sometimes it's very difficult to isolate vitamin D and say, well, is it is it vitamin D acting alone or is it simply a marker for the fact that people are spending more time indoors? Is it a marker for the fact that people aren't getting out into nature and seeing the sun, not only for vitamin D production in the skin, but just the, the mental health aspects of, of being out in nature and sunshine? So there's all of these, it's very, very hard. And this is what's difficult with every nutrition or diet study. Ultimately, you know, you change one thing and 10 other things change at the same time. But yes, uh, you know, overall, I would say that the evidence very much leans towards vitamin D, at least having a role, um, being involved. And, and as dietitians, therefore, it means it's a great topic for us to be raising with clients and making sure, because we certainly know that vitamin D is essential for our good health, making sure that people are getting enough is going to be, you know, kind of knocking off one tick on the how do I ensure they've got the best immune response there. And you sort of ticked off that mark. It's an easy one to do. Mm -hmm. So um, similar to that, Joe, obviously you've already talked a little bit about the relationship between vitamin D and COVID-19. Is there anything else to share around, you know, that what the latest research says and the strength of that research? Yeah, well, look, I think uh, one of the things that really interested me was where that hypothesis came from. So the dietitians who are involved in one of the webinars I gave early on when we were sort of just first into the pandemic. And I threw in a few slides at the end just to show what was happening with COVID research. And right back then, or very early in those first few months of the pandemic, Chinese researchers, the medics in, in Wuhan, were already then assessing nutritional status of patients that were coming into hospital, and then they were assessing their vitamin D status. So those papers were coming out very, very early on. Now that we're you know, a year later, um, there's more papers. And for the large part, I would say that they are relatively positive to show the association with vitamin D. We've got more people starting to look at it. 
And the research is separated, separated really into looking at um, can we measure people's vitamin D status and understand whether are people who have lower um, and insufficient levels of vitamin D more at risk of catching this coronavirus? That the second group of studies are looking at, okay, if we've got people who have already caught the virus, is their vitamin D status giving us some indication of who's at risk of severe disease? So in other words, if you're low in vitamin D, are you at more risk of severe disease? And, and the answer seems to be yes, but I say that very precautionary because I could also pull out studies that would say, no, they didn't find any effect like some of the British studies have done. Um, and then lastly, we've got a group of studies starting to say, okay, well, if we, if we accept that that link is there, people are going to be more at risk of severe disease, what happens if we give them vitamin D supplementation? And again, that research is really, I would suggest that's probably the most mixed research um, in terms of trying to come out with some, some good conclusions. I would say the strongest evidence, evidence at the moment is suggesting that, yes, we've got some good studies from Europe and from South America showing there are these associations that you're more at risk of catching the disease and having more severe disease if your vitamin D is low. Um, but when it comes to can we treat with vitamin D, well, there's a bit of plus and against. And Really, that's perhaps not so surprising because, you know, we've still been debating what's the best treatment, you know, and what else can we give? And so trying to look at vitamin D when, to be honest, once you've got people with severe disease, of course, there are medical protocols that are going to have far greater impact um, than vitamin D. And so there might be, you know, negative things. I think a lot of the research at the moment is sort of just chucking vitamin D into the mix of other treatments that that are, are have got a better chance of success. So I think it will be some time before we can really understand um, from a prudent perspective, however, I would suggest that if people test positive, it's worthwhile looking at whether their vitamin D levels are adequate or not, and then ensuring people do have an adequate vitamin D, whether or not they're you know, at home with relatively few symptoms or whether they've got severe disease. It seems prudent to throw it into the mix, um, given that there doesn't seem to be a downside. That's probably a great segue to a point you made last year, Joe, around um, as you know, dietitians and healthcare professionals, we should always be stressing the importance of medical advice first, and then obviously the nutrition lifestyle to support your immune system comes afterwards. Would you agree? Oh, for sure. I mean, we're called allied health professionals for a reason. And um, yes, when it comes to where someone's actually got the disease, of course, nutrition is there in a supportive role. I think that's a really nice way to, to say it. Um, I think I used that, that terminology last year, just talking about our role in the pandemic is that we're there to support our medical colleagues who are right on the front line trying to fight this pandemic. And no one is suggesting we can fight the pandemic with nutritional strategies. What we can do, though, is ensure that people, and I think this is very empowering for people, I've watched with interest the sort of rise of, of, of public level interest, but also medical level interest in the role of nutrition in this kind of, not just in immune health, but in overall health and wellness. And it's been quite satisfying to see that people are recognizing that, okay, I have no control over the pandemic, over how this is all dealt with. I have no control really over whether I'm gonna catch it or not. All we can do is follow the medical advice and, and hope that, that we remain safe. But people have recognized what they do have control over is trying to do the things like eating better, you know, getting some exercise, getting enough sleep. You know, sleep is intimately involved with your immune responses. 
all, you know, those things together help you to have greater resilience um, against stress and managing your stress levels, your anxieties and, and, um, and so on along with this. And so it's been great to see that sort of supportive role of nutrition um, getting its time in the sun. That was a, a good analogy to use when we're talking about vitamin D. Unintended. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't actually intended, but then I said it and realized that was a good one. <laughs> yeah. So, so to me, that's, that's the way to think of it. And the way to think about vitamin D generally is in this sort of supportive role. It's not going to stop you from catching the virus. If you come into big viral load, you're probably going to get it. But it might just allow you to have a stronger body to be able to deal with it um, in the best way that your body can. Mm. The other thing about low vitamin D is that low vitamin D increases um, your risk of other things that then increase your risk of COVID. So it increases the risk of particular chronic diseases. Um, so if you've got poor cardiovascular health, for example, um, then you are more at risk of COVID. So I think that's the other area that they're looking at with vitamin D. And it may also be why we don't see an immediate effect of vitamin D given once someone's got the disease or the infection is because there's this sort of background of, of people who are low in vitamin D are already got a bunch of other different risk factors. Mm -hmm. So how does what we've talked about compared to, you know, those other uh, immune boosting vitamins like vitamin C? Immune supporting, okay. Immune, Immune supporting. supporting, that's it. <laughs> yeah, look, vitamin C is, uh, it's important not to put one thing more important than another thing. Um, because all of all of the different vitamins that are involved, if we just look at the immune system without anything else, they all have their individual roles. So just in the way that we think of antioxidants as working as a team. So um, a good analogy would be to think about, remember your biochemistry behind vitamin E, which is a fat-soluble antioxidant, and vitamin C, which is the major water-soluble antioxidant. And those th two things work as a team and replenishing each other, um, you know, without coming because they're in different different um, tissues, one in the lipid and one in the water aqueous part. So they really, really work as a team. And that's what nutrients do in general. And the same is true for the immune system. So the role of vitamin C is very different. It's in the water. Vitamin D is, again, a fat-soluble um, nutrient or hormone. Um, and so the, the two things are working in different areas, but no one is more important than the other. So the one thing about vitamin C is that, you know, generally speaking, it's pretty safe to increase your levels. You know, you're just going to pee out what you don't need. Um, so, you know, uh, and it's not difficult to get enough vitamin C provided you're eating some fresh fruits and veggies. And um, you can get plenty from, from, um, from your diet. But, and yes, so there's plenty of good, I mean, we've had lots of research over the years. The, the whole role of vitamin C in the common cold, of course, has been quite controversial because originally it was thought to be a sort of um, panacea for taking, and people still do it when you get the cold, you think about boosting your vitamin C intake. Um, but actually it doesn't, there, it may reduce the severity in the number of days that you're suffering. But again, certainly I think the role was potentially overplayed in, in the past. But we do know that it's important for lung health. So people who it's it's that major water soluble antioxidant. So we know that pollutants, so smokers, are using up a lot more vitamin C um, than non-smokers. So or people whose lungs are exposed to any kind of pollutants are using up more vitamin C than others. So that's the role of vitamin C. So we certainly we need to be careful that we don't focus so much on the role of vitamin D in immune health that we forget about these other nutrients. And the same is true then for iron and zinc and B group vitamins and everything else. You know, it really, it really is sort of, to me, it's about putting a spotlight on different aspects of diet, but not forgetting that the overall dietary pattern remains important. Mm. 
That's probably a great segue into, um, you know, what dietitians should be looking at or, or what, what they should be mindful of as we head into winter. Obviously, we're going into winter in Australia. Um, so in terms of that and in terms of dietitians talking to their patients and clients about, about vitamin D, um, would you have any sort of, I guess, tips or advice to add there? Mm. Um, yeah, well, the first thing would be to have the conversation, make sure that you're putting it on the table and start asking them about do they get outdoors and have a walk? How much time are they spending indoors? You know, are they covering up and um, wearing sunscreen all, all year? Um, you know, just asking those kinds of questions, understanding about what their particular lifestyle is. And then you've got your red flags going off in your head for, OK, vitamin D might be a real issue here. Where possible, yes, get a blood test. That's always really useful. Um, you know, if there's a blood test, you might want to then use a supplement. If they're really low, you might want a supplement to really pick up their levels and then sort their diet out. But then regardless of whether you've had a blood test or not, I think it's, it's, it's appropriate to be having a conversation about vitamin D, about trying to ensure, you know, we know that this vast majority, what was it, around half of the population we said by the end of winter are, are deficient. So we, we should be having that conversation and ensuring that dietary practices are in play early before winter. So this timing of our conversation, Kate, is great. So let's start talking about it now as we enter, you know, we're in our autumn months right now, get people in the habit of thinking about vitamin D in their diet so that that's going to help them to keep their levels topped up through winter. And eggs are a great way to do that. You know, eggs are an affordable, budget friendly. They're super easy to cook, really quick to cook. So for most people, it's a really easy food to include it unless they've got allergies or other particular reasons that they won't or can't eat eggs. Uh, they're a really easy food for most families to incorporate and just allowing them to know. I mean, it's pretty extraordinary to think, well, that's your 82% of, of, your, of your adequate intake of the day just by having a serve of a couple of eggs for breakfast or for lunch or and, and understanding how to. So I think as dietitians, we've always got to come back to the practical stuff about, OK, how do you get those eggs into your week and what else? You know, they can have oily fish. The oily fish are also, that was a nutrient I didn't um, mention in relation to immune responses, is there's also been some study, even within the, the COVID-19 papers on, on long-chain omega-3s. We know that they're anti-inflammatory, of course, and so of course they are being studied also as helping to reduce that cytokine storm. So if we can get our clients um, and members of the public thinking about including eggs and oily fish and mushrooms and these foods, we're actually helping them to boost their nutrition, particularly through those winter months. Mm. I imagine dietitians probably get this question fairly often around safety of eating eggs every day, given there are a lot yeah. of myths previously <laughs> around that. So maybe just to set the record straight. I'm asked this all the time and I keep looking back to the research. And look, I think our, diet, our dietary guidelines still say seven eggs a week is absolutely safe. So that's one egg a day or having your serve of two eggs every second day. But really, I can't find any very convincing evidence that having more than that is particularly harmful. I did have someone message me not so long ago saying, you know, my sort of 20 year old son who was into the gym was having something like six eggs a day every single day for his breakfast. And was that harmful? And so I did sort of think, OK, that's possibly too many eggs. If anything else, you know, if nothing else, sorry, it's, it's at least sort of uh, meaning he's probably not getting enough of some other alternative types of foods. So, of course, there probably is an upper limit. But to be honest, it's really hard to find the research that kind of pins that down. 
So to me, I think, look, it also matters the way that people, and this is probably why some of the research looks a little bit confusing, because think about the way that people would consume an egg. If you're having an egg with uh, sausage and bacon and a hash brown and, you know, I don't know, whatever else people put in that kind of fry up kind of breakfast, and you know, with basic white toast or a you know a brioche bread, even worse, whatever you know, that kind of breakfast is very very different to what I just ate this morning, which was two poached eggs on top of basically a whole load of veggies, including my beloved Brussels sprouts <laughs> and my spinach and my mushrooms and my tomatoes, all in extra virgin olive oil with some feta cheese and then my poached eggs on top. That's a very two very very different kinds of breakfasts. So whenever you're looking at these sort of observational studies about eggs, I just urge a word of caution to look beneath it to say, well, what else are people having in that diet? Mm -hmm. So I think if eggs are part of a plant rich, I prefer that term to plant based. Plant based does suggest it's got to be vegan. So, you know, plant rich diet um, along with, you know, so it's got plenty of plant food there, but along with whole foods and limited or no ultra processed foods, then there you've got a diet that, that is very, very healthful. And remember, it's not just vitamin D. There's something like 11 different nutrients in eggs. They're getting mostly really good fats. I would argue that they're all pretty good fats in eggs. Plus, they're getting lutein and zeaxanthin, which are great for eye health. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of different nutrients in there um, that are that are doing them benefit. And to me, you know, that that makes for a fantastic breakfast over having, you know, a highly refined, quick or skipping breakfast altogether. And obviously, as dietitians, we are trained to take very much a food first approach to these situations. So there's some lots of great examples of whole foods to meet yeah. those requirements. Um, yeah, no, you know, before looking to supplements or maybe as an adjunct to supplements. Yeah, absolutely. I always remind when I speak to the public, because I'm almost always asked whenever I do a public web, they're mostly webinars at the moment still, but we're getting back to real life events. One of the questions I'm almost always asked when I do a public event is, you know, what supplements should I take and are supplements necessary? And so I always say the word gives it away. You know, supplement is exactly what it says. It is. It can never replace a healthy diet, um, but it's there to bridge the gaps. Thanks, Joe. Is there anything else you'd like to add on uh, vitamin D, immunity or anything we've discussed today? I think we've probably covered everything. I, I will just say I'll, I'll, I'll pass on. I've looked up just a couple of really good review papers and other um, further reading if anyone wants to read up on on the, the um, particularly in regards to COVID-19 and nutrition research, not just vitamin D, but nutrition research that's going on so anyone can do any further reading there. And it's worth just pointing out too that this and, and you know, more than two decades of a science career myself, I've never seen a topic be be made open access right across the world. So I think that's just healed the world of science um, in this pandemic. All of the papers surrounding COVID, including all of the nutrition papers are open access so that you can read them all without having to you know, try and access them through your universities or paying for papers and so on. It's pretty extraordinary to see that collaboration between scientists around the world. Um, and it's great because it's allowed us to really expand um, our knowledge and we started this podcast by talking about the emerging science but it is moving at such a rapid pace because of that sharing of information so big uh, big clap to the world of science I say. Yeah we're very lucky to have access to all this emerging research aren't we? Oh for sure it's just extraordinary and and as dietitians you know again in our role as allied health I think we can play 
play a role in helping to reassure people about the way that, that COVID is, is being dealt with and, and just help to allay some of those anxieties there are around the vaccine and treatments and so on, just to remind them that, that this is the case, that this is this word unprecedented has been used a lot, I know, in talking about the pandemic, but it really is unprecedented to see this kind of sharing of medical papers as well as, as nutritional and, sci and science papers, um, which is what's allowed us to get to this point where our amazing... Um, uh, medical and uh, vaccine workers have been able to produce this, you know, a choice of vaccines and a choice of treatments and really helped us prog to progress to this point only within a year and a bit. Mm, yeah, I agree. So mm. thank you, Joe. Um, for our listeners, you'll find references to the research that we discussed in this podcast in the show notes um, for some additional reading. And we'll also include some links to some of the high quality and useful resources that Australian Eggs has created for healthcare professionals, which dietitians find very useful. Um, so thank you again, Joe. It's been such a pleasure to chat to you. I always feel like I learned so much talking to you both science-wise mechanisms and all the, also the practical aspects. So thank you again. Thanks, Kate. Speak again soon. And a special thank you as well to Australian Eggs for supporting this podcast. To get all of the links and resources we discussed through this episode, you can go to dietitianconnection.com slash podcasts. And if you'd like to support the Dietitian Connection podcast, please leave a review for us and a rating on the Apple Podcast app. Tell us what you thought about this episode, what you learned, and share your guest requests for us to consider for future episodes. We really value hearing from you and we really value your feedback. So please, please hit that review button. That's it from us. Thank you again for listening, wherever in the world you're tuning in from. We'll see you on a future Dietitian Connection podcast. 